Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where it's our desire to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message today is from our current teaching series called Strangers and Pilgrims, uh, where we're going through the book of 1 Peter and just pulling out truth from the passages and seeing how they can apply in our lives today. Uh, We hope that the message is an encouragement to you and a blessing and just really something to aid you in your walk with God. Well, it's good to see you today, and uh, thank you for all of you that are online with us this morning. I know we still got these kind of waves of sickness going through, everyone, and so it's good to see you guys that are online, and thanks for joining with us there. Um, let's take our Bibles, let's get right to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody who came out for our outreach yesterday. What a great time that was. Our first in-person, get out into the neighborhood uh, since we've moved into this building. And it was great. We had a great crowd out. And I want to encourage you, over the next several weeks, we'll be announcing, I'll I'll let you know at the end of the service when our next one is. And then in July and August, what we do is we take our midweek service time, and that's where we go out together as a church. So we meet at 7, we go out in the community, and then we spend some time in fellowship during those nice, warm summer nights. Uh, But it was great to get out and to talk to some people and uh, start passing out invitations. And so there's invites there at the table as well by the offering box if you want to grab some of those. Uh, there was, we did every map except for one. I was pretty impressed with our first section. We had that good turnout for that. So uh, be faithful to those things. Okay, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5 as we're working our way verse by verse uh, through this important book for us. Now, we're coming to the final phrases, and I want you to understand we're in the final paragraphs, really, of Peter's letter to the scattered pilgrims and strangers. And wh- who these people are are people that knew the Lord, but maybe because of persecution, uh, environmental changes, I'm not talking about environmentalism, but just uh, maybe it becoming more of a hostile environment for those that were believers, and as well, of course, we know the spread of the church, that there are now believers all throughout the pagan Roman Empire. And it was not an easy time to be a believer in that day. In fact, as Peter is writing right now, he himself is really only months away from his own, the end of his life and the end of his ministry. We know that very soon Nero is about to kind of turn the level up on persecution in order to cover up his own crimes, and he's going to turn it up so that the believers are going to be the ones uh, taking the blame for it. And Peter recognizes that the clock is really ticking. He's running out of time personally, and he's running out of time in his letter, as we see as he sort of rapid fire begins to get all of this information out to us. Now, here's something I want you to just think about for a moment as we consider the final verses of the book. We're not going to finish today, but as you consider the final verses here, it's interesting to me because this is the Apostle Peter, right? Who did he spend time with? Who? Jesus. Now, I don't think any of you have spent time with Jesus. Well, I, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay, all right. In, 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 uh, in a Bible way, the way, same way Peter has. Yes, we know the Lord. Yes, we have his Holy Spirit, and I'm so thankful for that. And that's something that Peter desperately looked forward to and got to experience for a few years of his life. But Peter, I mean, he walked with God, didn't he? He spent time with him. He, was, he saw the things that we would love to see. And so when it comes to the letter here, out of, I was thinking to myself, what amazing things could Peter tell us about the Lord? Think about that. What stories could he tell about Jesus. I mean, it's so interesting to me to think about that he could have at this point taken the the last few verses and given us just some intimate detail about the life of Christ that you never heard anywhere else in the Bible. How awesome would that be? 
he could have maybe given us some never-before-heard-of application of faith. He most certainly could have. He had the ability. He knew things that we didn't know about. We know that the things of Christ were not all written down for us. However, here's what's interesting. Rather than giving us some new knowledge or some new understanding about Christ, Peter takes these final paragraphs of his letter here to give us some instruction about the motivation of our heart. He takes the time to give us the motivation behind our expressions of faith. And the things that he's about to talk about here are familiar to us. In fact, when I bring them up, you're going to be like, oh, okay, I've heard that before. But it's so interesting to me that Peter, out of all the things he could have talked about, he narrows the focus down and he talks about the attitude, he talks about the attitudes of the spiritual person. And so last week, if you remember, he had some really important instruction for those that find themselves in spiritual leadership. And we talked about that in depth last week. But now he turns from his attention from the leadership, which we know if judgment is to begin, it's going to begin in the house of God. You remember that's going to begin with the leadership. Now he changes his attention from the leadership to those that are within the congregation. And really, it's every Christian. He turns now his attention, those that are within the body of Christ, and he begins to talk about how our heart attitude plays a critical role in the health and function of the local church. Now, the three attitudes that we're going to look at this morning are key to bringing glory to God in the middle of trials of life. As well, I want to encourage you with this. These are characteristics, these are attitudes, that when we develop them within our own life, they will help us to develop strong character and strong focus so that as a church family, we will be able to withstand the attacks of our adversary that we know are coming. Remember, this is the overall theme. This is what Peter's always thinking about as he's writing. Persecution is coming. Difficulty is coming. The other thing I would say is that if you've ever wondered what areas of your personal life you should be developing... These are the ones you should be developing that we're going to talk about today. This is what you can develop to experience the joyful and fulfilled Christian life. So let's begin in verse 5 through 7. Let's read it all together, and then we'll get into uh, breaking it down for today. So he says, first of all, he says, likewise ye younger. So in the same way. So he just talked to the leaders, and, and, he, and he lays it out for those that are in spiritual leadership. He says, in the same way, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility... For God resisteth the what? Say it with me. Proud. And giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And then he says this, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The first attitude that Peter is going to give to us is an attitude of submission. An attitude of submission. Now, if you've been paying attention during the series, and I know you have, you'd remember the fact that we've covered the subject of submission multiple times throughout the book. In chapter 2, we talked about how we should submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. In chapter uh, 2, again, further on, we talked and we saw how servants should submit to their masters. In chapter 3, we saw how wives uh, should be submissive to their husbands. We saw how angels and authorities and powers are subject to Christ uh, later on in chapter 3. But here again, we see another call in the area of submission, not only to God, but to the leadership as well as to each other. I want you to look there at the first part of the verse, of verse 5, where he says, Ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And then he says, Ye all of you be subject one to another. Now when you read that, what does that mean? That's the question. What is he talking about when he says that we are to be submissive in this way? Now the word submit here means to willfully place oneself under the authority and the leadership uh, of God-given spiritual leaders. 
As we saw last week, God has chosen and God has ordained the spiritual leadership within our church, and he has ordained us to lead the flock of God. And as a result, their leadership, the leadership of the pastor and of our leadership team, their leadership should be esteemed. It should be recognized. It should be acknowledged. It should be honored. It should be followed. And if we get into the meaning of what the word is here, it means that the leadership, we should obey the direction that the leadership would like to go in. Oh, man. Now, I know you're already thinking, well, pastor, how convenient <laughs> that right on the heels of talking about how you need to be the right kind of leader that all of a sudden this sort of flows in and we should just do what the leadership says. Okay. I'm sure some of you are thinking, boy, this is pastor's favorite verse. <laughs> right across my shoulder. That's the only tattoo I have right there. <clears throat> Actually, I don't really love this verse. You know why? Because I'm a human. Because I'm just like you. <clears throat> In two ways, I don't love this verse, but there's so much of the word of God that we may not necessarily love, but we obey because God knows what's best for us, right? The reason that for me as a pastor I struggle with this is because it reminds me of the heavy responsibility that I have to not allow the privilege of leadership that God has called me to, that I do not allow the privilege of leadership to be a temptation to misuse that privilege, it's a strong reminder, a strong reminder. It's also a reminder of the fact that I also am under authority as a leader. See, God doesn't allow anyone to be the head of, of anybody else. Do you understand that? Everyone is under authority in some way. That is God's structure. That is God's structure. Remember, we talked about last week how the minister that is given the authority of the church is not to be lord over the flock. Remember that? It's not to just abuse and to uh, take authority and, and have some sort of authoritarian methods or overlooking people. There's a balance to the authority of the pastor and the leadership that must always be kept in mind. But yet at the same time, the flock, the congregation, the people that could be described as the younger are to be submissive to the authority of the leadership within the church. And there's a good reason for that. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? Why is it that a church family would be structured in this way where there would be a submission taking place? Why? For they, that's the leaders, watch for your souls. This is where it gets really heavy for me. They watch for your souls as they that must give account. Here's what that means. As your pastor and as our leadership, we give an account to God. We will stand before God. We are submissive to God and will be accountable to God for the church. I don't know that anybody really wants that. Let's just be honest. That's a heavy thing. We can all love, we love the idea of standing before God and being responsible for ourselves. Okay, I can handle it. <laughs> but there's a heaviness here. Now, this is what is so interesting. So he says that you need to <clears throat> submit yourselves. Why? They watch for your souls. They are going to give an account. And one of the other reasons that submission is necessary is that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. A grieving pastor is not profitable to the church. <laughs> If you ever have been in a situation before, or maybe you've experienced, and I have not experienced this personally necessarily, I've experienced it through some friends of mine and other pastors, but it's a very difficult situation when a church congregation brings grief to the pastor. It's very challenging. 
It's not profitable for anybody, <laughs> for anybody at all, because it just allows so much room for difficulty. And so he's saying here that, listen, there needs to be this submission. Now, I understand this is countercultural, okay? Our society is not one of submission. It's the opposite, right? Our society is all about rebellion, <laughs> resistance against authority. That's very commonplace. But the church is not a replica of the world, is it? The church is its, you know, uni- your, its own unique ecosystem. That's what I was trying to say. That's what we are. We're unique. We're, we're different. We're special. God has, has a plan for us. And it's a place where we willfully submit ourselves to Christ, where we willfully submit ourselves to godly leadership that he has put in place. And of course, we know spiritual leadership comes with requirements and restrictions. But if you have a godly leader, if you have a leader that God has placed over you, then you should, as we see here, lovingly and willingly place yourself in a position to that authority, not because they're going to hold you back. A good leader is not going to hold you back. A good leader is not going to beat you down, but simply because submission is a spiritual attitude that actually allows you, get this, to grow in your faith. This is really unique here. I love this. It allows you to grow in your faith, and it allows you to grow in your faith in a way that's not really achievable in any other way. And here's why. When we obey God's instruction, it is obedience to God himself. And it is a mature believer that will recognize they need to follow the Lord in this area of submission to leadership. I don't know if you knew this, but did you know that submission was a characteristic of our Lord? Think about it. Remember when he was a young, uh, a young child, right? And he knew, of course, he was God. <laughs> he had a knowledge beyond anyone else. And yet we see him submitting himself to the elders. He resisted taking the leadership that he knew was his by right that was to come. And he resisted taking it before God's appointed time came. And in, rather, he was content to simply, as we know, and Luke tells us, to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And he was submissive even in that early role, the very son of God. And I want to tell you, if Jesus can be submissive on this earth, then most certainly we can obey God in this area as well. That is why I believe the verse continues to include a mutual attitude of submission toward each other. Notice he says, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And then he says, yay, not like yay, but yay, he's speaking to you. What's the next word? All of you. Guess who that would include? You're the leadership, right? (laughs) So he doesn't just be like, oh, yeah, there's a couple of people, you know, uh, and, and that's their thing. No, he says, all of you be subject one to another. To put it simply, we should, ha- we should never have an attitude of my way or nothing at all. That should not be an attitude within the local church. Rather, we should embrace an attitude of mutual submission. I think we can better understand this in the area of accountability. That's maybe a way to put it a little bit simpler so we understand this, accountability. Every single one of us is ultimately accountable to Christ, the head of the church. We know that. However, we need to make sure that we are careful to place ourselves in positions of being accountable one to another. You know, what really concerns me as a pastor is when somebody, when an individual resists or does not want to be accountable to anybody. That's a concerning thing. It's a concerning thing. Because it goes against God's desire for his followers. That's why he created the local church. That's why he put in place structures of leadership. That's why God has verses. This is why Peter, think about it. Peter took time out of this letter, the very end. He says, I got to talk about this. This is so important that there is this mutual submission that is going on. We're willfully placing ourselves under the authority of a local church. We are creating an environment of accountability. Now, if you've ever worked in a thriving team environment at work, anybody I know it doesn't happen very often, right? <laughs> I've, been on, I've been on some bad teams. I've been on some really good teams. But do you know what one unique characteristic is about a good, thriving team environment? 
is that they are accountable one to another. They encourage one another. They, they push one another. They in themselves on their own are doing their very best. They are serving. They're, they're doing their job at the highest level possible. And that as a result, they're encouraging others to do the same. And there's a mutual accountability. And so if something's maybe not where it needs to be, they'll, they'll talk to them about it. And there's this back and forth. Listen, this is what God desires for the local church where we are helping each other. We are encouraging each other. We're accountable one to another. And we're helping those specifically that are struggling or falling behind. And so we need to be a church where we are encouraging each other. Not in a spirit of pride, by the way. Like, come on, get it together. Look at me, I got it all figured out. Not at all. But where we are in submission to Christ and each other. Man, what an incredible environment that would be to exist in, to grow in. I want to tell you, that's an attractive church to want to be a part of. Where people are mutually accountable and serving and growing together. See, an attitude of submission is essential to be a spiritual person, and it's essential to being a spiritual person who particularly is walking with the Lord, that's growing in their faith. So that's the first attitude of a spiritual person that we see here is an attitude of submission. But secondly, we see an attitude of humility, an attitude of humility. Look at verse five and six. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves therefore, uh, uh, sorry, yourself unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and then notice this, and be clothed in humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. This is really, really interesting. To be clothed in humility literally means to put something on, clothed, and then tie it with a knot, is what it means. You think of it in the idea of like an apron, right? You ever worn an apron? Oh, man, when I'm cooking up some pancakes, I got an apron on, you know? I'm joking. That's a horrible mental picture. I'm <laughs> I just wear an old shirt. Anybody else like that? Okay. If I know I'm going to get dirty, I put on my old clothes, I'm going to get messed up. You know, you put an apron on though and you tie it and it's something that you put on and you secure it to yourself. So here's what he's trying to say, that we as believers should be people that are clothed, that have humility securely as a part of who we are. It's who we are. When we're clothed with humility, it does something just like maybe an apron that you would put on. It protects you. You say, well, how does humility protect me, Pastor? Well, it protects you from the greatest destroyer of the Christian life. It protects you from the greatest enemy to joy and contentment. It protects you from the most powerful divider of relationships. You know what that is? Pride. Pride. Humility protects you from that danger. In Proverbs chapter 6, it tells us that there's six things that the Lord hates. And then he says, oh, wait, there's actually seven that are an abomination. Notice the first one that he talks about there, a proud look. That's the idea of somebody who is filled with pride that they look at other people in a negative way. In chapter 16 of Proverbs, verse 18, he says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit. That's a prideful mentality before a fall. In spiritual leadership, it's a quality of the spiritual leader in 1 Timothy that they should not be a novice. That means that not without experience, lest being lifted up with pride. There's a reason for that. If they are a novice and they're new at it, the problem is they will be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. See, I think if I could pinpoint one sin above any other sin that causes more division and conflict, it is pride. It's the elevation of oneself in our own mind, the desire to be preeminent above anybody else. I mean, now we live in a social media culture of pride, don't we? It's all about, look at me, right? Look at, look at how great I can do a heart with my two fingers, right? 
Like, look at my duck lips and look at my selfie. And I mean, if you just, just Google people dying from selfies, it's amazing what you will find out. The lengths that people will go, well, the length, one length, dead, <laughs> how far they will go to get the perfect picture. And, and it's, it's crazy to think about. And it's all driven by pride, isn't it? It's all driven. You say, no, I just want people to know how happy I am. Okay, that's pride. You're just trying to show off. And, and, and that's the world that we live in, and I recognize that. But Peter is saying here, listen, if you're a spiritually mature people, a person, you will make sure that your humility is what is seen, not your pride. Your humility will be tightly connected to who you are. See, humility is so essential to the Christian life because not only does it help us in our relationships, not only does it promote unity, but humility, I want you to understand, is really one of the only ways that you can know Jesus in a more intimate way and become more like him. That's really one of the only ways. Somebody said it this way, God walks with the humble. He reveals himself to the lowly. He gives understanding to the little ones. He discloses his meaning to pure minds, but he hides his grace from the proud. If you really want to know God's grace, if you want to draw closer to God, then you must lay aside your pride and in humility, you must come to him. That's why he says there in verse number six, that you are to humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that he will exalt you in due time. In other words, we must be people who see God for who he truly is. We need to be people who see ourselves for who we truly are. God is mighty, isn't he? God's weakness is greater than our strength. God's foolishness is greater than any of our wisdom. He is the creator, and we are created by him, and we are created for him. Nothing is made without him. Nothing exists without him. He is the sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God, and we have a choice to make in our Christian life. And the choice is this. Are we going to continue to go our own way? Are we going to continue to rebel? Are we going to continue to try to just do things on our own, ignore his commands, live in pride? I tell you what, there are consequences for living your life in that way. And so the alternative to that is what we see here is having an attitude of humility. That means humbling ourselves. That means living our days on this earth under his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And then one day experiencing the exaltation of God in his timing and in his way, which I tell you what, is way better than any type of pride that you may have on this life, in this life and on this earth. The exaltation of God and lifting you up. Man, it's amazing. I was thinking of Proverbs 15, where it tells us that the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And then he says here, before honor is humility. That's the way that God does things. Before honor, there must always be humility. Now, again, we live in a society that does not reflect that. Many of you maybe have built your careers or built your, uh, your education on the subject of, I gotta just climb over everybody. I gotta, I gotta be better than everybody else. And it's maybe filled you up with pride. And it's a, it's a, it's a fight that we all battle, don't we? to be filled with pride, to think that we are better than others or that somehow we have this special aspect in us. Listen, before true honor, there is always humility. And so I'm asking us today, and I want to encourage you to lay aside the pride that easily besets us. Stop battling. Stop living your life to be recognized. Stop living your life to be acknowledged, to be viewed in a certain way. And he says here, willfully clothe yourself in humility. I mean, put it on and knot it. <laughs> Tie it on there. That's the expression of who you are. Because when you are clothed with humility, you are protected. You're also in a position of growth. And not only that, 
Here's what's so interesting about this passage. I love the way that Peter sort of puts them all in order. Not only that, but it is humility that leads us to our third point and our third attitude, which is an attitude of dependence. An attitude of dependence. Look at verse number seven, a verse that probably many of you know and have memorized. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Why don't you say that together with me? Ready? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let's break this down real quickly. Casting means throwing. All means all. (laughs) Care means anxieties. Care means anxiety. Him means Jesus. Literally, this means that we are to cast all our anxiety upon God. Our anxiety about life, our anxiety about our future, our anxiety about our relationships, our anxiety about our finances, we are to cast it. We are to throw it. We are to expel it from us (laughs) onto God. I don't know if you knew this, but God desperately wants you and God desperately wants me to be completely dependent upon him. Did you know that? That's what he wants for us. He wants a complete dependence on him. And what that means is that there's nothing too big in your life for God. There's nothing that is too small that you cannot take to him. You know, there's some people who operate with the idea that I'll go to God for the big things in my life, but all the little things, I've got it taken care of. I've actually had people say that to me. You know, I say, hey, I'll pray that for you, and I'll, you know, I'll pray about that. They're like, I don't, don't bother God with that. It's okay. You know, <laughs> I'll figure it out. Literally, I've had that said to me. Don't, 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 pray. don't pray, Pastor. Don't pray about it. I'll figure it out. Don't bother God. He's got bigger things to do. No, 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 no. When he says, cast all your cares, all your anxieties, he means all of them, every single one of them. Doesn't matter how big, doesn't matter how small. This verse, what I love about this, it blows that ideology out of the water. You know, the question is, is who do you turn to when you have a problem? I don't know about you, but I go to people who care about me. (laughs) I go to people who care about me. I had kind of a rough week this week. I had just a challenging week and a lot of different things going on. And so I called a friend yesterday. And I kind of, you know, the term unloaded on him a little bit, you know, (laughs) just sort of just sort of shared my heart a little bit and what, what I was struggling with. And, and uh, at the end of it, they just said, he, he just said, I'm sorry, that's tough. <laughs> and you know what? That's all I needed. That's all I needed. But you know why I called him? You know why I called him sp- specifically? Because I knew he cares about me. I knew he cared about me. Do you know what I also? I knew he wouldn't judge me. <laughs> he wouldn't judge me. I knew that he wouldn't, you know, tell me like, hey, man, suck it up, buttercup. You know, get your life together. And, uh, you know, what's your problem? No, he, he, he will pray for me. I know that. And he follows up with me and makes sure that I'm, I'm doing okay. And listen, it's great to have human relationships like that. And I, I love that. And, and when you have a problem, you go to somebody who cares for you. But I want you to know that God is saying, I want you to come to me as well. With all of your problems, all of your anxieties, all of your difficulties, you can actually bring it to him because he can handle it. Because I tell you what, there's no human on this life could handle me completely unloading on them. <laughs> all of my anxieties, all of my struggles. You think about that, right? You know, I call my friend and I talk to him, but I didn't unload everything because no human is made to bear that kind of thing. But God is. God is. And he can handle it more than you can handle it. Some of you just walk around and you're, you're carrying all of this anxiety and you're carrying all of this stress and you're carrying all of these difficulties and you're unwilling to let anyone bear that burden with you. And especially you're not allowing God to bear that burden with you. And yet he says, I want you to come to me with all of your cares, all of your anxieties. 
The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who is righteous, the one who is holy, the one who is good, the one who cares so much about you. He loves you so much that he wants you to come to him. Notice that it says that he cares for you. That means God is anxious about you. Think about that. He cares about you specifically. That's why Isaiah, in describing Christ, said that he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. That's a desire that he has in Matthew Chapter 11, we, uh, Jesus in, in, in prayer, he's praying in this moment and he's praying over unrepentant and rebellious people in cities. He says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, he says, take my burden upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, Jesus is the answer to your anxiety. Jesus is the answer to your difficulty. It is natural for us to be anxious. It is natural for us to struggle. I mean, think about it. The people that he is writing to are literally facing the end of their lives over being believers. Do you think that's a little bit of anxiety? I don't think any of us are dealing with that right now. If, if you are suffering persecution that might cost you your life, please come and talk to me after the service, okay? There's things called law enforcement. We can maybe, you know, maybe we can get, get you some help. But they're literally suffering this. They're facing it. They know people. They're experiencing this. I mean, talk about anxiety. They were in fear for their lives, but Jesus does not want us to come to him just in the most desperate of circumstances. He wants us to come to him in every aspect of life. We can throw our anxieties on God and say, hey, you take care of it. I'm trusting you in this. Here's, here's the difficulty, though. So many times, rather than placing our anxieties on the Lord, we place it on other people, though, don't we? And sometimes we place burdens on our spouses. We place burdens on other family members, on friends. And listen, God, God has given us great Christian relationships to bear burdens, and we know that. That's an important aspect. And guess what? Your spouse can be one of those people. <laughs> but I think sometimes we put so much and we expect other people to live in our space of anxiety and it's because we're unwilling to simply just give it to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Think about the joy that would come into your marriage if maybe you guys stopped projecting your anxieties on each other. Think about the hmm, flourishment of your children Parents, if your children aren't living in your anxiety that you're projecting on them, and that's very common, that we as parents project our anxieties and we expect our children to bear that burden for us. Now listen, it's not fair to them, by the way. It's not fair to them. And the reason I, I say this, and I, the reason I want to encourage you with this, those of you that are in relationships and those of you that are looking for relationships, if you want your relationship to grow and to flourish in the best possible way, you, as an individual, need to cast your anxieties and cares upon Jesus first. Jesus first. Him first. And when two people are doing that in a relationship, and you both are trusting God first, man, it just... You just, you just come together in such an amazing way where you're both trusting God, you're both supporting each other, there's that level of accountability there, 
But ultimately, Jesus is the one bearing the burden. And it's hard in a relationship, it's hard in a relationship to feel like I have to bear the burden of somebody else's struggles. Listen, I, I want to do that, and you should want to do that. By the way, I'm not diminishing coming alongside and caring for somebody. I think you understand. I'm not diminishing that at all. But ultimately, as believers, Jesus is the first. <laughs> He's the, he can bear our burdens. He truly can. And in fact, if you are trusting in God with your anxieties, you can help somebody else to do the same thing. When they come to you and say, man, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm, I'm having a difficult time. This is what my friend said to me. He said, I'm going to start praying about that for you. You can trust God in this. It's going to be okay. And this is where we come together as individuals and we really see relationships begin to develop and grow because ultimately our trust is in God and not in a person. People will fail you, but God will never turn his back on you. And I believe that there's some of you here today that, listen, you've been living under the weight of your anxiety. You've been projecting your anxiety on everybody else around you and everyone close to you, and you've neglected to just give it to the Lord. And Jesus is saying, casting all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. I love that. I love that. Notice, I want you to see this in this verse where it says, he careth for you. It's actually a different word than when he says, casting all your care. Those are two different Greek words. Now, this is really great. This time, the word means it's a, it's a care that comes from having an interest in somebody. It's a care that results because you have forethought. Now, I, I would say Jeanette is the, uh, the, um, lives this out because she's always thinking about other people and sometimes way too far in advance. Like, she knows most of you when you have your birthday, you know, and all that. And, and for me, like, I know, and I love this about her, like, when she thinks about my birthday, which is next February, I know she's already working on it. I know. I know she's already working on it. She's already stealing stuff out of my wallet in prepar preparation to buy me something. I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> I, I know that. Because she, she has forethought. What is it? She's caring for me by thinking ahead. So that's what that word means there when it's talking about God caring for you. He has forethought. He's thinking love and care towards you. Now, our cares, which is a different word, means many and varied. So we have lots of different anxieties and lots of different cares in our life, but it says that God is singular in his thoughts. He's singular in his care. And you know what that one care is? You know what it is? It's you. That's the one care. Now think about that for a moment. There is one care that God has, and it's you. And it's you. How incredible is that? Our, we're all over the place. It's wide, it's varied. But God is thinking about and caring for you. And you know what? We can trust him in that. We can trust him. And so these are attitudes of the spiritual person, of a mature believer. Submission to his will in the structures that God has placed for us. Being clothed in humility, which leads to total dependence upon God. I, do you see the connections there? I hope you see the connections there. It all just comes together because this is a blessed way to live your life. This is the way to uh, pursue God. It's an encouraging way that we can focus our attention. And I want you to imagine the difference in your walk with God if your relationship with other believers was based on these attributes. If it wasn't, you didn't come to church and kind of have like this sort of comparison idea, you know, uh, like, uh, like two pregnant ladies I saw comparing their bellies just a few minutes ago, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, okay, all right. <laughs> you understand what I mean by that. Where it's not this struggle internally, but we come and we just say, I I'm just here to be accountable and to help somebody else be accountable. I'm here to submit to what God has, 
has given to us. You know, Peter knew the challenges that were coming, and so he gives to these believers here, and to us as well, key attitudes as followers of Jesus Christ. My question for us today, and my challenge for you, is will you make them a part of your life, or will you just continue to ignore them? I promise you, if you pursue submission, humility, and dependence upon God, a lot of the difficulties, a lot of the struggles will just sort of, doesn't mean life's going to be perfect, you know that. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be just smooth sailing, but I will tell you what, your mind will be set in the right place, and that's on Jesus Christ. That's on Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.